welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kimberly Lynn, and I'm laughing because Lou always makes me laugh in the morning. Oh, yeah. I make you a lot do. of people laugh. Oh, he's in a funky mood. I am not in a funky morning. mood. I can tell. This is what I do for a living. I'm focused. I'm You're focused. I'm focused. Okay. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's like a sauna in the studio today. I'm sweating. I should have worn a tank top <laughs> or a bathing suit because by the time I'm done, I'm going to be swimming out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. Who turned the heat up? And then talk to Deb on your way out. Oh, my God. Anyway. Um, well, it's, it's... If I uh, say something, they'll turn the heat up. So. Uh, all right. Well, I'll say something as I go downstairs <laughs> when I leave. Um, it's a beautiful day here. We had a really yucky weekend in terms oh, of weather. It was yeah. horrific, and I had multiple conversations with people over the weekend about how Memorial Day is notorious for being like a winter day. Is it? <laughs> well, when yeah. I grew up in Vermont, we would go to Lake well, Bomazine. It's Vermont. And, well, don't be picking on Vermont. Listen <laughs> to me. And when we go to Lake Bomazine for our pilgrimage of picnic start of the year, I remember people sitting around fires and um uh you know the you know the old-fashioned grills you know the yeah. ones that are ground into the ground um in blankets and sweatshirts next to the water in trying to get in and go swimming and having a good time but we were freezing and everyone's blue but that's vermont until father's day isn't it you know but it's just okay for the past 30 something years where is or that more, lake by the massachusetts way. it's still the same okay where is that lake by the way lake bombazine yeah. it's just north Fish north, I'm going northwest of Rutland, Vermont. So it's sort of near Killington, near Rutland. Okay. Going, but it's not up towards the mountain north. It's a little more west. Mm -hmm. So central, but west. I see. So it's very pretty. It's a beautiful lake. Oh, it's all beautiful up there. And what? It's all beautiful up there. Mm, yeah. It's that's the it's a, claim to fame for Vermont. It's a well, except state. for the other claim to fame, which for people that know, I love to tell the story that have been around me is that, well, my my hometown is one of the biggest drug running towns in the whole country <laughs> for heroin and cocaine. Well, awesome claim to fame. Well, the Canadians have to get their drugs somewhere. We have to have something from Canada coming down through the pipeline. <laughs> so, and there was actually a documentary on on the actual fame and infamy of Rutland, Vermont, which is where I'm from. Um, so, I no longer have to go up to Burlington, but I've been going up several times a year for my son. And there are places, this is America in 2021. Yes. There are places on that trip, which by the way are interstate highways mostly, yes. where you have no cell service and no radio. Exactly. Well, if you have serious radio, you're fine. Okay. Yeah. But if you have normal car radio, you do not get, you get AM channels. Yeah. Yes, you might get this an, is Vermont. You might get the same NPR station on like three right. different And people don't believe me when I'm traveling up north all the time. And I'm like, I don't have cell service. And they're like, right. Yeah, I'm like, no, I seriously, know. I don't have I cell service. I get the same service. thing. It's like a great excuse because I really don't. Because yep. yep. it drops out and you'd be mid-conversation like, yeah, I'm done. I wasn't sure about the last time I had to go up for commencement. I wasn't sure about the car. And I'm going, if I, you could, there are places you could break down on that trip where they would never find you again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's so for people that are in New England and that travel that road, they they know 89. So there's there it's a it's a highway. Yep. And in the winter, because I used to travel it all the time, going back and forth to my hometown, you can be driving midday, beautiful sunny day out, and it will become a whiteout snow condition. And yep. good luck. 
because yep. it is one of the scariest roads. The state police warn you about it. I've known about it since I was like 15, 16, because that's when you get your license in Vermont back in the day. And I would drive that road and wouldn't be able to see. And I thought, if I go over into the ditch, I'm done. Yeah. There's no finding you. Never ever. find you. <laughs> yeah. It's very scary. It'll be March before they pull a car out. Yeah. <laughs> go into exactly. a ditch down there. Yeah. Right. So, but, so Vermont is beautiful <laughs> and it will bury you in the ditch. <laughs> yeah. Potentially, um, but uh, but the Memorial Day weekend, nonetheless, was was beautiful, except because it was relaxing, whatever. At least it was for me. But it was freezing, yeah, and it rained the whole weekend. So, but now today it's ninety. Yeah, <laughs> we're by, we went to from forty five degrees over the past four days. Now we're at ninety, and we're gonna have ninety degrees for the next ten days. It's so New England. They give you this seventy and eighty degree weather for about a week, and then they plunge you yeah. back into sub fifty. And it's like, God, I, I can't deal with this. It's crazy. It's crazy. I saw a meme that said if you're um, if you've got the heat and the air conditioner on in the same week, you're from New England. That's me this week. Yeah. I have the heat and the air conditioner and the fans all going yeah. on the same day at the same on the time same at day. one point. Oh really? <laughs> yes. That's a little I couldn't keep up with the weather changes. It was like whoo. That's so. a little off, but yeah. So so anyway, so keeping our happy faces and our game faces, um, I saw the cutest thing this morning. You know how much I love animals. Mm-hmm. I was driving here and across my road Three little kits, little fox kits, came flying across. They got so confused. I don't know where Mama was, but they were running back and forth and back and forth. And, of course, I couldn't catch them fast enough. But I caught one on my – I mean, catch them on oh. film. And I was in my car. I say, what are you, trapping cute. the foxes? Were, no, I wasn't trying to catch them, catch yeah. them, capture them on film. They were super cute. So be mindful of all the babies out there right now because all the fawns are being born from the deer and all the baby kids from the foxes and all the baby coyotes and all that stuff so but they're super cute super cute i love them all so um and my the, animal update is the uh, green head traps are out on plum island uh, so. <laughs> and for all of you who are listening that don't know what the green heads are and i've referenced yep. it before they are the worst nastiest little flies they will take a chunk out of you and you will not recover for a year <laughs> <laughs> so you don't go to where Lou lives pretty much from the end of June till the end of August because yeah. they're going to eat you alive. Yep. And it's too bad because it's a beautiful beach, but they will get you. It's it's overblown. Anyway. I think that's the way people kept people off Plum Island. Is Oh, the greenheads? They're not great. Don't get me wrong, but it's a little overblown. Or maybe the but traps don't work. Tell I don't that. know. Yeah. Just keep it with the. It's terrible. Yep. So. <laughs> um, so. So are we talking about aliens? Are we what? Are we talking about aliens? Because the government's yes. coming out with its release soon. And well, we weren't going to talk about aliens until you told me when I came in today that we're being invaded by aliens. I didn't say that. Okay, what did you say? I said, what are people going to do when we find out about the aliens? Was that really what you said? I think something to that I could effect. have sworn you talked about us being invaded. but No. Okay, so we're. this isn't new. Come on now. We've been no, invaded, invaded the, by aliens. There are new things going on. The government is doing a soft, softening the ground leak of things. They're preparing us for this. Yeah. And then they've announced that they're going to release information. Listen, if you haven't flown over Area 51 and aren't a believer by now, then I don't know where you've been. <laughs> Come on now. Of course the aliens. I mean, I could tell you four hours worth of a conspiracy theory of my father's forever on aliens, which I won't because yeah. it'll make me need to go into an institution. But me being the threat generator I am and the cynic that I am, why is this all going on now? Oh, I'm. I. I, I mean, me. theoretically, the aliens have been here since the '50s, since Roswell, oh, well, right? You would figure that they've been here forever. Okay, fine. Yep, right? fair enough. 
Why is the government all of a sudden cooperative? Why is the government going on 60 Minutes? Why is the government having a quote-unquote release date? Why is the former president talking about aliens on a podcast? What's going on? There's so many things I could say here, but we should just move along. And I don't think it's aliens. I think it's deflection from something else. Oh, well, well, so interesting, because that's a psychological phenomenon, Mm -hmm. given that we're your daily game face and talking about psychological phenomenon. That's Um, why I asked. And so there could be lots of reasons, and and without me getting in trouble for some of the reasons I would think, but there, there are, you know, we see this. I believe if you go back into the... 1950s and 60s and I've had conversations with several pilots that are patients of mine and Mm -hmm. several um, other military spec op people that have talked to me about certain things over their years and what they've seen and whatever this is not I think it's because it's now outward more this would be my opinion that it's now outwardly being brought out more because more and more is being talked about because more and more can be talked about because it's social media because people are whatever and I'm sure there could be like multiple reasons why like right now there could be an agenda but I think if you go back into the time when you know Area 51 was being built and when that whole thing was going on it was pretty big back then I think if we'd had social media then this is just speculation we would be feeling the same kind of thing because it was so obvious at the time for so many people across the country of sightings and pilots and people reporting incidences so I don't know if it's necessarily bigger and more versus just now it's more easy to get the access like most information specifically for me it's the tone of the government towards this i mean there's but there's been talk and speculation the government you don't you don't do that no because you need to listen you need to understand what their motivations are you can't you can't ignore them because you're, but you, they'll that, sneak up behind the you first and, issue is you're trying to say that you have to understand their motivation yes <laughs> so what changed between now and the 90s for example what changed between now and 2010 why are they all of a sudden going on national tv and yapping about this I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roundabout to a different topic. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I know Lou, you want to talk about that, but I have to be in the frame of mind to talk about that. I get, I get. And that. I am not in that frame, but we'll talk about it after, and then we'll come. In a back couple and weeks, talk. when they release you know, the information. In, in a couple weeks, when whatever they tell it is us they're trying to tell us. And they're living yeah. underground underneath us. Yeah. Or that my, I won't tell you what my father thinks because. I'll make it look like I have a theory too, but um, it's going to get me in so all kinds of listen trouble. Listen to me, stop. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, very important to my business and my clientele is um, Naomi Osaka. Big news. Okay. The tennis champion of the world, mm-hmm. right? Young girl from Japan. You know, she plays for for Japan. She's got like all the Grand Slams. I mean, she's well. So she's come under fire, and she ended up walking out of the French Open because she got huge criticism because she missed um, two of the um, press conferences that were being done after some matches this past weekend, and she got fined $15,000. Totally unfair, and this is why. So given that I do this for a living with sports psych and and performance and people with social anxieties and, you know... She got criticized heavily right out of the gate from lots of people, including other tennis players, big time, and, and came out against her. But then she disclosed, you know, some of her stuff that's not new. So what the deal is is, and you and I have talked about this before, athletes, whether it's recreational or, or superstar top headliners, right? A lot of athletes, not some, a lot, have anxiety. They have mood disorders. Look at Michael Phelps. This is not a new informational piece, right? 
I've been the reason why I do the job I do with sports and athletes is because of the issue that Naomi Osaka is talking about. So her thing was that, you know, and she and this isn't new in terms of she's been telling us for years, you know, well, she's young. So for the past few years that she has severe social anxiety when talking with the media. She has severe social anxiety when talking about her game and it takes her off her game. So coming from the background as a sports you know, and clinical psychologist, right? Of course, this is something that she should speak up about to say, I can't do press conferences because it puts me in a place that makes my head not right, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. And it makes me have struggles because when she won a couple years ago, ever since she won, she's she was fighting this um, more and more social anxiety pressure feeling of having to perform more for camera than her actual game. So you have a camp of people that are in the tennis world and other athletes that are like, oh, well, you know, she has a duty and responsibility to speak to the public. Yes and no, because, you know, there's plenty of superstars out there that are in, you know, mainstream TV or whatever that don't speak ever. You know, you don't see Goldie Hawn coming out every time she has like a moment or. You, there's That's some your people, reference, Goldie Hawn? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about people that are much more yeah. private and reclusive in terms of like their right. commentaries and that don't speak a lot. And when they do, it's very small because they do, they just keep private and but, it's not expected. But wait a second. Let me, let me press the alternative here. Oh, here the difference go. is she's active. This is the sport is a, the sport is a business. Yep. Marketing that them making press conferences after events, especially someone who's a winner and such a a prominent athlete in the sport, needs to go out. All all sports have a mandatory press availability. Well, so, well, so it's not mandatory necessarily. So here's the thing. So I counter back, given that mm -hmm. I've been at this level, yep. not her level in terms of like sure. the number one, but. It's not mandatory. It's just it's just kind of a thing that we do. You're supposed to get interviewed after you win. You're supposed to get interviewed if you lose. You're, supposed, you're just supposed to be a spokesperson for the sport. But remember, you're playing the sport for the sport. You're playing for the title for yourself. You're playing to improve yourself. You're playing for your own reasons. And she's been very clear along, just like Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger Woods has anxiety and all those things, and he was really forced. I would imagine, I don't know this, he might have something else to say. It would be interesting to hear what he has to say, given that his background with his family and stuff like that, and his anxiety issues. But there's plenty of athletes out there who have been forced and coerced into the media frenzy of speaking up afterwards. And she's does she does a great job, but she's super nervous. And she's telling people that if I do this, it takes me off my game. So she withdrew from the French Open. And Is we've got the Jap Grand Slam coming up. She's withdrawn. She's got Wimbledon coming, and she's withdrawn out of the French Open because she did not want the pressure yeah. of having to speak that was taking her off her game. The first and foremost thing in her in athletic life is to be able to play her sport, to be at the top of her ability. If if someone, you know, if something's getting in the way of that, you eliminate that thing that gets in the way of that. So, you know, it's there's such a stigma still, unfortunately, to anxiety and depression and her admitting to it and all these things. But this is not uncommon in athletes, especially high-level athletes. Um, and that's why I made that little piece about, like, it's recreational too. But when you're at a high level and you're expected, I'm of the mind to say if, if a person is in the middle of their event and they're playing crappy or great or whatever, it is up to them whether or not they're going to speak because that's a... 
Oh, yeah. That's a game changer for them, potentially. It, having one conversation with some reporter that might ask a question that might make them feel certain things. I can't tell you how many times I've had to step into pro-athlete mindsets with them to say, block that out, don't listen to that. You know, there's a reason why I have, like, my athletes keep earphones in. Naomi Osaka reportedly does the same thing, so she puts out all the noise. She doesn't hear all this stuff. I mean, this poor girl won and beat Serena Williams and was booed off the court because she beat Serena. And she had to take all that burden because she was better than. Yeah. She's a young girl. She's mm -hmm. a young tennis player who happens to be a phenom, and she's amazing. And it's overwhelming to her. So it's it's about, like, backing off. It's not like Simone Biles is used to. Simone Biles is the the goat of gymnastics, right? The greatest of all time. Yep. She's been raised from baby, baby, all the way up through, because this is what us as gymnasts do. We get raised with the pressure of social media, not social media at the time for me, yep. but media, 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 media. There were, even at congresses that we went to, you know, they have gymnastics congresses and the skating yep. federation. They all have these things. You go to these big conferences and you go and you train to be in front of camera. You get trained by people from ESPN to do on-site quick interviews and yep. all that kind of stuff. So, you know, she doesn't want to take part in that. And I kudo her as opposed to the people that criticized her about like, oh, this is a responsibility. You have to do that. I believe Billie Jean King came out and said, you know, she's a social figure. She has to do that. She's... A, well, maybe she needs to find a different venue for her to be able to speak about these things, but not during her event. Oh, I'm all yeah. for her being staying in her mindset for her event. I've got no problem during the event. If she decides not to do media availabilities during the event, that's fine. But you win the tournament, you got to go out and do an event. So, so that's you're going I, into a tournament. So you got to do an event. So if I was working with her, which yeah. I'm not, but if I was working with her, I would be completely supportive of the fact that during the French Open, while she's playing in between matches and and day to day, yeah, if she doesn't want to. She doesn't have to. Right. Like, there's no reason to have that interfere in her mindset of having to take her out of the game. At the end, I would say, hey, let's make it so that we practice doing a couple-minute interview about how it felt, how you felt you played, and really getting used to that. You know, And we'd work you know, more like exposure therapy because she deserves the, the right and the privilege of her own choices to be able to do that. So I think that it's, you know, I mean, this is a prime example of so many times that I see athletes just get forced into talking about their sport or their performance and having to critique it when they haven't even gotten to process it yet. And right. then you put yourself out in front of like a whole bunch of critical people who are going to say something. It's very different than... Kyrie yeah. being out there talking, right? I mean, you take this young, young um, tennis player who is just playing tennis to play tennis versus, you know, someone who's playing for superstardom and going out there and being like, I'm Kyrie, you know. First of all, how young is she? Uh, I think Teenager? She, I think now she's 20 or 19, oh, okay. 20. Yep. Is she a Japanese national? Is yeah. English? Um, she what? Uh, yes. Is English? She's playing for Japanese. She's strong Japan. in English? What? Is she strong in English? Yes, okay. yes, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Yes. Just show us a bunch of Bill Belichick interviews. You what? Just show her a bunch of Bill Belichick interviews. What do you do when you don't want to do a job? You just be bad at it. And then nobody but, asks you to do it anymore. Just go out and do bad interviews. So and no here, one will ask you. Anymore. But I, well, so, right. And, and I think, so there's a couple things. This should be interesting. Here we go. <laughs> I think that there's a female, there's a gender thing here. Sure. There's a sport-specific thing sure. here. Sure, yep. Um... Yeah, that's where I'm going to go. So psychologically, there is a pressure on females to be able to answer in a certain way and to talk about their experience in a certain way. Yep. You can see it in the way that people 
interview female athletes versus male athletes. I've been on the backside of that, certainly. But the Williams sisters don't fit that mold. They've played themselves out of that mold. They they have played themselves out of that mode, and they are very... Um, they have a stylistic difference in the way that they do interviews. They're much more abrupt, pragmatic, yeah. and one or two words like Bill Belichick, but right. with more emotion. Um, and Sir, I think it was Serena yesterday, I believe, came out and, and said, you know, we're all different. We all approach the media differently. We all attend to it. We all have our own stuff. And a, a sort of an appreciation for Naomi's stance that, you know, but it's it's about the... I mean, Lou, it's about this social stigma around anxiety and depression that this poor girl has to out herself. And I'm not saying poor girl as in pity right. for her, but poor girl, like it's her private business and her standalone um, commentary of like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this interview right now because I'm in the middle of the open and this is going to get me off. My, she just started out by saying something very basic, very innocuous in general, by saying something like this is, you know, given my... Given my anxiety, I get very overwhelmed. She was very super honest, and then she got attacked for it. Yeah, for being honest about something that plagues millions of people across the world. Like, and it's just why, and you know, so it gives a message to not only athletes: you can't, you can't speak up because you're going to get shunned. So you're going to now that's going to increase your anxiety because now it's going to impact yeah. your performance, right? And also, it's sending to fans and role modeled people that. If you have this, you gotta kind of keep it under wraps because we don't talk about that, and it counters everything I try to do in my job. Is you have anxiety, you gotta go with it. You gotta let people know I'm anxious. Yeah. Da 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 da. You, because it's part of the to show me someone that doesn't have anxiety. Hmm. Yeah. Like, give me anybody today. Walk up to me, and and if they tell me they don't, I'll find it. There's no way that people can't get get through day without having some level of anxiety. We all have it. Our bodies regulate up and down all the time. Some people are more severe and are really bad. And then some people are just like, oh, they get anxious, nervous, and then it passes. Our struggles put us in conflict with the world, though. Yes. And, and like, for example, if you had a, situ a guy who had severe social anxiety and he was going to apply for a sales job where he's got to go out and walk in businesses and talk to people, cold call right. people, not the job for him. Right. And on top of that, that business has, they need salespeople to go out and do revenues. If you're the U.S. Open, you need to get TV rights. To get TV rights, you have to give the TV people right. access to your superstars because that's what they want. Right. So there's a basic conflict here that has to be resolved. Well, I, well, I think that it's, I think, yes, and it can be resolved in these instances for certain players if they so choose that they don't get interviewed in between. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, I'm, all, I'll, I'm all on board for that. It's if an athlete like, wants to If Tom Brady's be, playing, yep. we don't have a full-blown interview. You see him. He walks in. He's got his earphones on. Nobody's going up to him saying, how are you going to do today? Right. Right? It's after the one-time game, and then there's a week and a half in between yep. or whatever. For someone that's got to play, you know, four rounds within two more hours, within two more days, within, an, and you're being asked, like, how do you think you're going to play? Do you think when you miss the ball that that... Now you're reha everything that would be counter to what we yep. try to get into oh, the I'm mind of a trained mind of an athlete is like, we don't want to go back and think about what happened. We just want to go, let yep. it go and move forward because now you've got people that are the, the Monday morning quarterbackers going, wow, you know, how did you let that one go? And now that's all in your head and you still got to play two more matches. I'm fully on board with that. Yeah. If she doesn't want to speak during the tournament, yeah. and I mean completely is, during yeah, the competition. This is my idea for it. Yeah, I have no problem right. with that. This I mean, is my solution to her Her job issue. is to compete. That's her job. Go out and do it. Right. She shows up at the tournament beforehand, do an interview after the tournament, 
you make yourself available for an interview during a tournament, you don't want to speak, don't speak. Right. I don't have a problem with that. Right. And I and I think that that I think that that's what's probably going to ha- I it's going to be having to be addressed in this way in some way like this. And this is given what I've heard over the past two days of what's gone on with Naomi. If I had my hands on it and hands with her in helping her, I'd say we need to strike this deal. We probably need to make a change across the, you know, the tennis association, the international tennis, you know, the federation, um, so that we get this equalized for people in general to address the yeah. issues. I mean, Michael Phelps, I'm sure, will have a lot to say about this. You know, the yeah. the most decorated, you know, U.S. Olympic swimmer of all time, just like Simone Biles. Anybody that's at that level who knows what the pressure are, they're going to have... Oh, you remember Marshawn Lynch? Yeah. I'm just here not to get fined. Yeah. That was his entire press conference because he didn't want to do the press conference. Right. I'm just here not to get fined. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And there's a reason why, and that's in... And I guess your point is Marshawn Lynch was accepted, probably a male-female thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, um, you know, when women, girls say no, yep. even even though, oh, I'm sure I'm going to get backlash on this, even though it's we've, you know, progressed and all these things, but psychologically there's still that piece of like, oh, she's difficult. She's a pain. She's a diva. Yeah. What a witch. What a bitch. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Did I, can I say that on here? Sure. So... Um, you know, but we do say, so we do say thing about things about men. I mean, look at but, Kyrie but, the last but in week. In a different way, and yeah. it's more accepted. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's you know, it's kind of like the the old the old euphemism that's not really that old is like if a woman goes out and has sex with everyone, she's yeah. slutty and hoary. Yeah. If a man does it, you know how men are. Yeah, it's the acceptance piece gotcha. of how it's. The, so they're doing the same behavior yet how it's deemed so you know so naomi says i can't do by the this. way Kyrie is another great example of a professional athlete who just said he was done with interviews I mean, yeah he doesn't he doesn't hold up that right. but because he and can't, because can't the stop way talking he does it he gets nailed for it yeah because he's very bl- blunt as we know and then yeah. he gets that's why people hate him but they love him but they hate him because he's blunt and yeah. so i don't think Kyrie ever got fined but she got fined for not speaking hmm. and that's See the difference <laughs> makes me cuckoo. I don't think he. Sh- I don't think he got fined for not speaking or for saying I don't want to do this because she never came out. Well, on... I'm willing to bet if it were the NBA finals and he didn't want to speak to the media, he'd get fined. Really? I would. Well, I think that should change. And I think there are post game requirements in place. I don't know. I don't know what the I, I don't, NBA yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know. Th- yeah. I don't know all of all of the the rules on the media part of that. But, but Bill, I, ha- I Bill has he... to speak. Tom, you know, Tom had to speak. The quarterback has to speak. Coach has to speak. Right. Post game, well, but it's not that it's. I don't think it's a has to. It's just. It's just what is and what's been expected. I'm. I mean. I'm. Sh- I'm not sure. I would imagine that there's written in contract like that you have X amount of media that you have to do and blah 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 because that's part of the deal from the money. However, I do know that within the U.S. skating figure, the U.S. Figure Skating Association, the tennis, the gymnastics, there, to my knowledge. The contracts don't say that because yeah. those are not professional athletes, technically. I mean, tennis has a little bit different because they're I considered pros, yep. even though, you know, they go to the Olympics and whatever. But um, it's not expected out of contract, more out of, like, just social obligation that you're supposed yep. to do this. And I think it needs to be revamped. I think that she's gotten a bad rap. I think that this this is not okay mental health-wise. It sends a bad message yep. to the mental health community of people who seek help who are afraid and don't have a voice that want a voice and now are going to be stifled because, oh, they, if they speak up, they're going to either 
get ostracized, fined, you yep. know, metaphorically or whatever. And so I think it's an important issue. So I wanted to bring it up because sports psychology is. is near and dear to my heart, as we know. And um, I think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a personal choice. And, and, and I absolutely see a reason for, you know, the person who wins Wimbledon or the Grand Slam or anything like that should absolutely be able to answer questions after the fact. Even if she has to sit with someone yep. and say, you know, Naomi's not going to be able to talk about it a little bit, but I'm going to be able to tell you a little bit about it. And she's and she's very articulate. She has, but she'll say when she's talking. She's been interviewed before, and she said, "I'd rather not answer because I'm afraid I'm going to give the wrong answer." She just gets too yeah. caught up in it. So she probably needs more practice and whatever. But I'm not of the mind to force someone to go into doing something that they don't want to do if it makes them want to throw up. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and if it's going to kill her performance and psych her out. What a great strategy for another teammate to be able to say, this is how I'm going to get her to not win. Yeah. Well, yeah. But the psychological warfare on the playing field all day long. I know that. But some, yeah. sometimes when it's active, it's, it's like saying we're going out and hunting deer. The deer don't know that, it, you know, it's a sport. We're right. going to go out. But the deer have to be on the same playing field. They don't know, though. Right. Same thing with her. She doesn't know. She knows, but she doesn't know. So. The other conflict I see is if you, you, and you're right, there needs to be a recognition for anxiety as well as any number of conditions that athletes are facing. But the problem is, you know what's going to happen is one athlete, she legitimately shields herself because of the anxiety she's struggling right. with. And Kyrie's going to say, I have social anxiety. I'm, I don't have to do interviews. He's not going to say that. Well, there are going to be athletes who do. Well, there, there will they be, don't want and that's to. fine, but it's not going to be Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, true. It, it, it's, he'll, he might say other things, but that's not going to be one of them. <laughs> and it won't be without some four-letter expletives, I'm sure. That's right. Because he's just angry. <laughs> he's got other issues. Got all kinds of things. That's a whole other... Kyrie's a great, great fun. Yes. Listen to him, yeah. I actually enjoy his interviews. They make me very entertained. Oh, yeah. No, I know what's going to happen because he's so blustery. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they're, they're entertainment, if nothing else. It's, it's like watching the Joker on a, on a Justice League movie. I know, right? <laughs> so I don't know. I can't see any um, commentaries this morning at this point. But if anyone has any thoughts on this or any commentaries or input, certainly type it on in so that I can read it or Lou can read it to me. Lou, do you see anything out there? Uh, not at the moment. I haven't, I haven't got on that page. Yet okay. So, um, so I just, I just thought it was very timely. We're coming into the Olympics. Yep. Um, in terms of Naomi's supposed to go into the Olympics for Japan. She's going, supposed to go in for the, you know, the Grand Slam and go into Wimbledon here shortly. And hopefully this will get resolved out um, for her and for other people to come out. I, I, you know, I feel empathy for the fact yeah. that, you know, there was an initial attack on her. Right. And, you know, we've we've improved our mental health system around athleticism so greatly that I was really disappointed yesterday. I'm, I'm on the treadmill last night and I'm like watching the news and saying, this is horrific that here's what I do for a living. And I was cringing going, how embarrassing that I actually help help people. And then this was all counterproductive to everything I do with professional athletes. I'm curious about your line in this particular thing, because um, as I look at it, having, you know, worked in sports media yep. and seen interviews and things like That's that. That's why I thought this was a great topic because yeah. we're on like the opposite ends of the camera on this one. Yeah, I've been on, you know, I've been in these things. I see what they're like and I, I guess I understand the social anxiety but to me it doesn't seem like that big a deal and it's the, because I don't suffer from the kind of anxiety she does. But as a therapist, how would you, where does the line fall between you got to push her a little bit to deal with this because it's really not that big a deal or between 
no, we've got to shield her from this because it is a big deal. I mean, that's well, a really interesting borderline, isn't well, it? So, well, so it, I think it goes to interesting because I, I, because it goes to your point that we've talked about for well over a year about it's a matter of threat generation and you've come through, you've worked yourself through your threat generation to understand what it is. You've identified it. You got through yeah. it. You've made lots of changes, all those things. And you didn't have to do it on camera all the time. With I mean, she like, plays in front of 20, she plays in front of 20,000 people, different. which you would think would be that's more anxiety different. inducing than talking. It's totally different. Yeah. So, so I'm going to give the personal example of the, for myself, hence personal. So when I was doing gymnastics, I could go into an arena of 20,000 people, perform, know they were all there, never worry about one iota of them, them, all of them, whoever they were being there, because I was so focused on just doing, but then stop me and ask me to talk about it, and maybe this is why it's pushing my buttons too, Yeah, oh, maybe. Yeah. stop and ask me to talk about it after the fact or going into something, the fact that the consciousness of it's not judgment but the way it was going to be criticized or seen of what I was going to say how I was going to say it how I you know was I a good report I was also young I mean yeah. thought this was all this was everything prior to 18 years old so right. I'm a young mind trying to think what is the right answer even though we'd been coached by ABC and NBC and ESPN news anchors and all this stuff coming up through different conferences that was like, oh my God, it was like freeze moment. And I would do it, but it would, I would be sweating, in, but no one would see it. But it was this visceral polyvagal response of dysregulation of like, this is not my wheelhouse. My but, wheelhouse is going out and walking on yeah. a four inch beam that's four feet high and not dying. I'd rather do that than talk to you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I personally get the, it's not, you, you are able to block that out. It's not personal. It's not right here in front of you. It's not having to look at the, the generation of the threat that's there that you're looking at going, what is this person thinking? What is this person feeling? What are they going to judge me on? All these different things that I would imagine Naomi's going through when she sits in front of a panel of people going, well, what do you think? And why'd you make that mistake? And what is going on? And do you think you could have done it better? And you're like, oh my God, yeah. like, I just want to go out and do I understand it. the challenge. My question was, you're oh, going, did I not answer your question? You, you didn't answer my question. Oh, God, you're so mean to me <laughs> today. My question was, if you're going to face 10 girls with this issue, I'm yes. guessing some of them you're going to decide, I need to get her more comfortable with doing yes. the interviews and push her in that direction. And there are others that you would say, she's not gonna be able to handle this, I have to shield her from this. Right. And I'm wondering what the dividing line is. How do you determine which ones you try to... I have the answer for you. Okay, excellent. God, <laughs> you're so fresh today. No, Everyone out just, there, he's so fresh today. No, he's just the villainizing answer, me. The answer is how it's impacting the person on an individual level functionally. Is it impairing them to the point where they're not functioning, like that they can't perform? That would be a good one. Yep. Or that they start making mistakes that they don't normally make in practice, or they get hurt. Like there's really specific dividing lines of of where to shield from and where to be like, it's okay. Yep. It's usually just in the functionality. And it's, and it's like any mental health issue. Where is the impairment to the point where you have to really intervene more? It's when it's functionally impairing a person to the point where they're not functioning to the normal or their baseline. Yeah. 
right? So that that's the easiest answer. Did I answer it for you? But all of the girls in that situation would be in that, they, their function would be impaired by their anxiety about doing interviews. And what I'm thinking with this girl is someone gets to her and puts her in front of interviews and teaches her to deal with this. Her world's wide open. This, in other words, this well, doesn't that, seem course. like a high well, that, bar. Okay, but if you were listening, yeah, oh, I, I know. God, this is like being at home <laughs> this week with John not listening to me. I'm with you, John. Listening skills. <laughs> listening skills. The blessing. Remember that from vacation, Christmas vacation. Listening. No. Uh, oh, okay. I pledge allegiance to yeah. the flag. Okay, you're not listening. Yeah. But um, it's. It's the continuum and putting someone, so like her, mm -hmm. what I would do is I would do exposure therapy, like I said at the beginning of our talk today, is I would do a little bits of exposure therapy between the two of us, mock interviews, set up a camera, start seeing where she starts struggling, seeing what comes up, having her walk it through, um, what she feels uncomfortable with, what kinds of questions. I mean, it would be a very thorough process of breaking it down to then reintroduce through some right. kind of exposure therapy of like, hey, you know, I'd get, I'd get like Peter Carruthers to come in and say, let's sit down with Naomi and you field her some questions and like do some exposure, like something like that, so that we just step it up a little bit so that we can help her to also evaluate whether or not she can actually ever be able to do it because sometimes... And I don't think that's going to be for her because she does okay when she does it. I think it's just that she can't handle. Right. What, so when someone gets that anxious, like she reports, it's then the recovery afterwards that is the body and the mind going, oh, my God, that was horrific and draining and yeah. terrible. So it's more about then putting her in the position to expose it and then following through with the aftercare to make it so that it becomes shorter and shorter periods of time of distress right. after the fact of body and mind. Um, so, and it would take a process. It's not like in the next four weeks, all of a sudden, right. someone, but certainly I know that if I stepped in in the next four weeks, I could certainly make a difference for her to not have that. I don't know who's helping her. I don't know. I know that the different teams, I'm not sure if the Japanese team or whoever she's working with has a sports psychologist or someone, I oh, would imagine they Everybody's do. got one but, now, um, don't they? <laughs> but not everybody does the yeah. same kinds of stuff that yeah. I do or, you know, uh, Joe Massimo, who used to be the team uh, psychologist for the USA Gymnastics here in Massachusetts before. Yeah. So everyone's got different takes on how to do these things. But certainly, I think when you've come from a background, you've been on both sides of camera and doing this, you know the anxiety and how it is to perform. I would have never spoken. You'd never know that now. Yeah. <laughs> it, took, it took me to go to acting school in New York City for me to stand in front of people to be able to pull myself together to not feel like I was going to die. Yeah. Like I'd go out to perform something verbally and I'd have that blank out right, right. at the beginning going, uh, yeah. and I think that that's probably what happens to her because the report from most athletes, when I talk to them about doing social media events, um, and reporting after their events is it's the same. I go totally blank and have no idea what I said. Don't yeah. remember the interview because the anxiety goes. Shh. Sure. So did I answer your question? Liz? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, that I ask a question. John. <laughs> Put you both out in the river. Because that asks the basic question of how you deal with any any given challenge, mental health challenge that you have. Because right. your impulses are to, are to charge, are to retreat or charge forward. Mm -hmm. and it's usually a decision you're making with any of these anxieties, right? Right. And I I'm mean, sure I mean, it's different in each individual case. Right. And, and the goal is never to get a person to avoid. Right. right. It wouldn't be like I would never advocate for her to just be like, step out of this and never have to do it again. 
it would be about being empathetic to validate that this is scary, this is really worrisome for her, and that she needs some space so that she can work on it to see where she can actually get comfortable. Right. And she's, again, she's young. And another piece of that is, and I don't know her, I know some about her family and stuff, culturally, this is not, you know, the culture right. is humble. The culture doesn't go out and boast. The culture doesn't go out and talk about oneself in this way. So culturally, I believe she's been raised to, you're there to do the sport. You're there. You are tennis. You are the racket. You are the ball. You are one. This other stuff, that's not, you know, mainstream America. We teach everyone to talk about everything. Yep. Do everything. Put your emotions out there. Tell everybody how, Kyrie. <laughs> Sounds We're like kidding. she's big enough to do a pool, though. I mean, just set up your own interview thing. Just right. get your own camera, your own tape. I'll invite her in. She can come in and talk to me. I'll talk to one or, one person or two people, and then I get control over the interview. Nothing live. and you know. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that they're going to have to make some provisions for her if they yeah. want her to speak in terms of that because it's like accommodating anyone with any other kind of yep. challenge. You know, that things certain things can't be, you know, or, you know, whatever that will be so i just feel for i feel empathy because i know the deal and this was like at the heart of doing sports psych this weekend and watching her struggle and <laughs> i think she should talk to bill that's what i think i think you do? bill you should think coach so? her up i think well i know bill gets a bad rap though because every i have a oh uh, you've seen you've seen the, you've the, seen the picture i have a couple yeah. pictures of mm -hmm. him with me and everyone's like he's smiling i'm like he does smile <laughs> that's I a am, social setting we were in a so we were in a bar <laughs> I have we were never, together at a bar. I've never had any kind of close opportunity. I've done a lot of press conferences with Bill, but I've never had a close opportunity. But my theory has always been if you could get on Bill's boat with a few beers on a Sunday afternoon, you would love the guy. I'm guessing he's, he's one of those guys. Oh, he's super. He's he's the coach and the, the yeah. Sunday or Thursday night football is not the man. Right. It's just not. And you can see it sometimes in the interviews. You get him on, sometimes on the Thursday interview. If you get him in the right subject matter, you start talking about uh, uh, an old giant or LT or, right. or something like that, or talk about his his days and you know with the Navy team and you know and he gets going and you just again I think if you, in a social situation I bet he'd be a great guy to hang out with. He he's he's a, I can attest to the fact that he's a lot of fun and he's lots of smiles and lots of laughs and he's chatty. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yes, very chatty as long as we're not talking about the current game at hand. Yeah. It, which is normal. Like, how do you think you're going to play? We're going to play. Like, which I love and respect. Yeah, because you know? he keeps yeah. well. And here's and here's something for Naomi too is like keeping the boundary. Yep. If someone if someone taught her how to you know if someone says well how do you think you're going to do? I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea. I'm going to go out and play. I doubt I would give her the yeah. what to say. I'd be like, this is what you're going to say. We're on to Cincinnati. Right. We're on. To, we're on. I don't know. Like, there's no crystal ball. I'm going to play with what I know. I go with what I know. Yep. And, and 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 I'm sure they'd be like, well, she's being difficult. No, it's truth. Like, here's what it is. Why is it okay for one person to say it like that? You're trying to her? get into her mentality. That's a an elite athlete's athlete's mentality. Right. Yeah. I'm going to prepare the best I can. Be ready. We'll see what happens. And that, and that's and so what I often tell my athletes is that you know the I just had an athlete make a a couple athletes, but one in particular that I used this technique with a couple weeks ago. He just made a NFL team and. I used to just say to him all the way up to his pro day and everything was like, go with what you know, go with what you know, go with what you know. Don't stray from that. Right. And that's that was his mantra. Go with what I know. Go with mm -hmm. what I know. Go. So because it, everything else, I said, everything else is peripheral. All else is chatter. 
go with what you know. Don't worry about what you don't know. What someone else says you should know, go with what you know. It's the same thing. Bill's media availabilities are art. They're absolutely art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after the first OTA, they were asking about Mac Jones. Yeah. Did not answer the question about right. Mac Jones. Talked about the quarterback group. Just went to a whole team thing, and you know everybody's doing it. His first word was everybody was not going to answer the question about Mac Jones. It was going to nope. talk about everything else. Nope. Yeah. And it's and it's but and there's why I would say that, you know, for someone like Naomi or someone like if you take Naomi, Simone Biles, gymnast, right, Michael Phelps, all that. They're all in the different levels of their comfortability. Right. You know, it's like I always put it into the modality of you're in the tunnel on the train tracks. You're either at the beginning of the tunnel, somewhere in the middle, or at the end because you've gotten through. Michael Phelps is on the other side of the tunnel. Simone Biles is on the other side of the tunnel. She's fresh. She's just entering the tunnel, and she's got something that she's been – she's given – words to things that other people aren't talking about that are there for other people they just have been too afraid because they're going to get fined or they're going to get fired or they're going to get right. moved or whatever it is but she's at the beginning of the tunnel she's got to get through the tunnel and that may take some time she's young everyone needs to lighten up yep. lighten up francis <laughs> i'm movie referencing today play Name the, the old, movie play the old mickey mantle when they was it mantle who got fined one time yes and he handed them about three times the fine and said that's for the next time yeah it's like just take yep. the fine yeah. You want to do the interview? Take the but fine. That's, but again, right, difference in age, experience. Yeah. You know, she's this young yeah. girl going, uh, you know, deer in headlights going, I have no idea what to do with this. This is like so, you know. And and culturally, again, the shame, even though she won and beat Serena and it's like amazing, she got booed. I don't know if you've ever seen the tape on that. No. She got booed. Like she won and she did amazing and the whole stadium. She got was booed because her. she beat Serena. How shaming! What? They, why'd they boo her? Because she beat Serena. She beat Serena. Yeah. And they well. wanted Serena. And how? This, but you know she the was mentality at the time, of, yeah. and how brutal your your shining moment of yeah. being the best and beating the best. And Serena was very gracious and lovely, and just Serena as yeah. always. But the whole crowd was just brutal. And ever since then, herself, she says her self-esteem and everything else, even though she's this, you know, she's clearly countering it by being the best player and continuing to do. But that ate at her. So there's shame and there's guilt yeah. and there's awful feelings that have no reality base. They're all threat generation. But the threat generation out of the fact that people were booing her and she didn't know how to put it aside. It's beautiful, isn't it? Because you have the experience and I have the experience of understanding what those booze were. Right. That was honoring. Right. That was mm-hmm. that, that was nothing that was nothing right. anti towards her. It was just that Serena lost. Right. And but by she the way generated that that's not what it was. I know, yeah. Right. It's the same event, your perspective on it. Right. right? The narrative, the story the from last week, the yeah. storyline you tell. That wasn't right? a personal attack on her. That was the people like Serena. Right, and that's and that's where hopefully they have someone to intervene, stating something to her like, "Hey, you know, you know, had I been there, yeah, my thing would have been like, this was not a, this was not about you. Everyone that means something is so proud of you, and that's just because you you ended an era of tennis. It's like when you know someone beats Tiger Woods, yeah. it's like." Oh my God! You know, and it's you know, and Tiger's like, just like Serena, it happens. It's okay because there are X amount of people in that arena who right. are there because they got excited when Serena was at a, at the top of her game. Right. 
same there are people at golf tournaments because of Tiger Woods. Right. So they have a hard time dealing with the changing of the guard. Right. And that's well and it would be interesting that's I mean I doubt this is going to happen this summer but when the Olympics happen and Simone Biles goes she's going to wipe the floor with everybody cuz she's so amazing. She's doing new skills that are all named after her. They're better than anything that's wow. ever been done. Yeah. She's landing them all. She's like I mean amazing. But if she doesn't perform to the level she is ready for and something happens and she gets beat. Yeah. It's not, she's, she's older now. She's, this is her multiple Olympics. She's way older than typically that we do have females in gymnastics in the Olympics. She's has a life outside of just being a gymnast. Her identity is different. All these things. She's not a kid anymore. Like yep. any factor you can accumulate to be like, Oh, she's life lessened and she's going to be, very different. I think the audience will be upset, but I think that, and maybe it's the way that gymnasts are trained. We're very hardened to the fact that we're so criticized and so put down all the time Yeah. that if someone's booing us, we're like, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, you're booing me. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's because I suck. I know, you know, cause we're so used to being told it's not good enough anyway. So might as well just take it anyway from our whole crowd of yep. people. <laughs> Can I take you into the woods on a related question? Sure. Because this aggravates me every year. I okay. get into this every year. Okay. Having the Little League World Series yep. on ESPN is basically child abuse. Yeah. There's no reason those kids should be on that level of a stage. You know, just kids. Moneymaker. I, I understand. Yeah. I understand why ESPN does it. I understand why it's broadcast. But I just see these kids on there, and there's a potential for. I mean, think about it. the kids aren't handled for this. They're not even a lot. Some of them will be top athletes, but they're not top athletes yet. They're not used to this environment. Right. And they go in and doing you know pro up up close and personal profiles, and they get coaches mic'd, and it's like on national TV. God, right. That's too much for these guys. Right. Well, I mean, there's so. I mean, well, Lou, it's not really going into the woods because look at how many. That's like saying let's talk about all the child actors that have come up through. Yeah. Right. So the Corey Feldmans of the world and the Corey Hayims and the um, Sean Astons and, all, yeah. you know, and it's the same thing. Not but at least they get a check and your athlete gets a check. These kids show up, they do a week on ESPN, they go home right. and deal and, with the right. out, deal with the it's follow. Their, it's their stint of their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. yeah. And their other 12-year-old companions are watching them, you know, boot a ball on national TV. Right. Well, so there's two sides to that, which yeah. I totally get that, like, it's a lot of pressure and all that stuff. Um and clearly it's a moneymaker for ESPN and, yeah. and whatever. Now, on the actual athlete side, it's kind of like kids who are training for the Olympics. They, they go to the next level. You know, they have the state, the, the regionals, the nationals. They're not all televised, but they certainly are. They're motivators. In, in, in my sport that I was in, it's always, it was always considered a motivator to get you to the next because your, your, your end goal is to go to the Olympics. Your sure. end goal is yep. to be a National League player. Your end goal is to be on the NFL. Your end goal is to be, right? So without that dangling carrot out there, there's not a lot to go for because everybody else would then get a trophy kind of thing. So it's, right. the, it's going from the one extreme to the other in the, in the concept there. So do we exploit and expose no, but it happens, unfortunately, yep. in all in all sports. I can't think, well, maybe curling, who knows. <laughs> Try to give everyone fair shake here. But <laughs> it's, it's and it doesn't make it right. Yeah. But it's certainly, I think, if I look at it from a psychological perspective in sports, it's the carrot dangle of, like, look at what your, your kid may never make it to the Red Sox, yeah. but. Oh, I understand why right. they want to be there. It's right. just that the potential for trauma is oh, God, yeah. enormous. 
But okay, so now here's now my mindset is there's no difference in my mindset other than the TV cameras and the, and the exposure nationally between the varsity number one player in let's say Chelmsford, Massachusetts on the baseball team versus the kid that was just on TV for ESPN in terms of the pressure and identity. And the season's over. This kid's going off to their Division One school, maybe or maybe not playing. This kid may or may not go on and keep playing and go into some major league, blah, blah, blah. But they're the, they're the, it's the same thing. It's like the identity of the athlete is like, now what? Oh, Am I going to continue to play? Is it over? Like, I didn't make it. Is someone going to recruit me? I mean, it's, One is 17. 18 right and one is and not national 12. tv and the other's right. on national tv and they're 12 12 right and you know the other one's playing the 17 year old's playing for a scholarship there's there's something to be had right. there everyone wants to excel do the best they can every little league kid wants to play on right. national tv in the little right. league world series but then the ball goes through his legs right or, or he gives up eight runs mm-hmm. you know it, it and ends up crying on the mound mm-hmm. with with the coach coming out and trying to console him right it's like it, that stays with you forever. It, it's and and that's so. What what I'm saying about that is yeah. one is just it's just happened to be filmed on national TV. Yeah. And if they weren't filming it and they were doing these the you know the little league championships not on national TV, that stuff would still happen. It's yeah. just now it's being added with the extra, and it's traumatizing either way. The additional national exposure would be more traumatizing because certainly if a kid isn't as resilient as another kid and saying yeah. like, oh my god, I'm worried about what people think of me, which is what most athletes do. Yep. Um, which they'll tell you they don't, but that's not true. No. Um, that's that's the downside of that. Is it's it's and. Now, on an individual You're an level, when too. I'm working with them, it's yeah. it's I would I would know their level of resiliency to know where you have to intervene, as it, at a coach level, a family level, the kids, the team, and saying like we have to rally. Like when I work with teams, mm-hmm. I always work with them on surrounding yourselves as a team working as a unit we're not an eye so that means when someone's out on the mound crying we don't look and point and say oh poor johnny he's you know he's a mess too bad for him now get off the mound we we rally and say what can we do to make this better for for johnny well then he's got to go back to seventh grade but that's (laughs) to the seventh grade school Athletes um, are about self athletes is a self-identity athletes right athleticism are, are concerned with self-image they become athletes because that's the area of their lives where they feel most accomplished and that they feel most skilled in right that's where they're most comfortable right so by almost by definition an athlete is concerned about their self-image and that's not a problem we all are right that's human condition right it just happens to be that when you're doing athleticism types events you're more exposed right and so the plus your ups and downs your self-image is more quantified well, you have a so, one loss record. You have a time. You have a, you know, it's you know who you are based on your forty speed. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Well, and one thing I was going to say about like you know the age group you're talking about in terms of the, the little league little leaguers and also Osaka, you know Naomi, is this developmental period is the spotlight effect developmentally. So the spotlight effect for people that don't know is all kids usually starts around 11-ish, 12, sometimes a little earlier, depending on how they're raised. But they all go through at least a year or two or four or five of, I think everybody's looking at me and only thinking about me and judging me and everything. And, yeah. I, and I, have this, I have this conversation with kids 20,000 times a week yep. of 
if you're thinking that way and all your friends are the same age and I tell them exactly, I'm like, this is spotlight effect. I tell them what it is. So they're really clear. I'm like, do you actually think that they're thinking about you if they're all doing the same thing? And you have these really cool aha moments. It doesn't always change it, but they have. Yeah. Um, so when I can go back and just say, you're playing tennis and no one's thinking about you. Right. Because they're all worried about when they're going to play their next match. They're just getting you off the court. They're not watching you. They don't care. Right. And they only care if you're playing with them and they're watching you for you. They're not looking at what you wear, what you didn't wear, how your hair was, whether you tripped, you didn't, whatever. They don't care because they're worried about whether they're going to trip, whether they're going to look. So, and right. I think that that's a lot of what you were, you know, what you were, you weren't talking about it, but you were yeah. talking about kids. And I think that that's a piece that gets missed when people do coaching is that they don't look at the kids for what's really going on in them while they're on the field, while they're playing, is that they're all sitting there doing this thing in their head, even if it's not creating total anxiety, that they're like, someone's watching me, I'm going to mess up, I'm not perfect. And when people say, oh, that doesn't happen for me or them, or what, that's yeah. not true. Not true, because you can't escape the developmental period of 11 to 18, 19 years old of spotlight effect. It's like the built-in narcissism <laughs> of teenager dumb. Right. So of, of worrying about disappointing coaches, parents, themselves, media, uh, fans, all this stuff. I mean, I, I just locally, I work with a couple local athletes that are high ranking, going to go to Division One colleges. They have the same worries that the guys that yeah. I just had go to the NFL, <laughs> you know, and they're real worries for them because their mindset is like, I don't want anyone to see me as being less than I am. And it doesn't matter, Division One school, going to whatever. It's funny, this whole World Series thing and what you're talking about took a t page turn for me when my son was playing Little League. Right. And it's like, I was an athlete growing up and had some success. I was never worried about my performance. I mean, worried to the normal extent, but it was like, look, I work hard. I do the best I can. What happens, happens. Right. That type of thing. But watching my kid play, that was terrifying. Right. That was hard for me. Because you didn't want the kid, you didn't want the goal, ball to go between his legs. You didn't want him to strike out in a key situation. Right. It was like the stakes seemed so much higher. And then that's when I started developing. And then they got kids like this who are on national television going through this. Right. It's nuts. Right. Well, yeah. it's and and because it's huge pressure. Yeah. And and that's you know when I have, you know, I've had kids go to the little league. And I don't remember feeling that in little league either. I mean, it just went out and played. Well, right. So I've had kids go to the little league series and be on TV. I've had. I mean, most recently, you know, I'm, this is a very big thing, is that the national cheerleading events. Yes. That is huge yes. pressure. Yep. I mean, when people are like, oh, cheerleaders. No, no. We, this is, you know, it's not cheering and just like, you know. No, and those are intense. And like those... just pom-poms and being like, yay, go team. No. This is The like team and coaching is intense. Skills. And when you're yeah. a flyer and you've got high-risk moves, you're full on and you're like 25 feet up in the air being caught by teenagers by underneath you. Oh, yep. my God. Right. On national TV. And you're 14 with a bow in your hair. Right. It's supposed to not be imperfect and trusting six people to base you. Oh, my God. People, so it's like, it's to your point, it's yeah. it's the same kind of like, you know, watching. You go, oh, my God, I hope no one drops anybody. But also that that set of kids that are doing that are so worried about letting the team down, not performing yeah. correctly. And essentially, if anyone you know knows about cheerleading and that at that level which is high level um when you're a flyer you're you are one of five or six that are only flyers on the team so you're front and center so any mistake 
is the mistake of the team. Right. And it you are the winner, the loss for the team. If you slip, if you fall, if you trip, if you so it's like the yeah. ball going through the legs. It's so much pressure on a person. Yeah, my girlfriend's daughter was a flyer, and it's like you're hurt, and you've got to perform with the team because they don't have another flyer, or they don't, you right. know, they don't perform if you're not able to perform. And it's like, you know, the injuries she performed with, it's like, it's nuts at Yeah, this I had age. a flyer a couple of years ago that had bo- 14 at the time, now older, but she was she was performing at nationals with two... I will say they were shattered hips, and oh, she ended up having she ended up having surgery six or seven months apart on both hips. Knowingly, because of, because of cheerleading. Knowingly, they put her out there knowingly. Oh, yeah. oh my god! Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. my daughter. <laughs> she was the only flyer. They needed her. See, this is the pre- like. So it's to the point, right? Yeah, it's to yeah. the point, and that's and that's the thing. So and now she. Um, Bases. There's no more. There's no more flying for her. No, those people. Nope. She's a base. She's now a base. And people out there are probably thinking, "What's a flyer? What's a base?" That, that'll get you. That'll being a flyer will get you eating. Yes, being <laughs> flyers get you out of the flyer. The flyer gymnast, is the girl they throw love, all over the place. They throw her up be, in the air and yeah. exactly. She flies. That's why they call her a flyer. Right. Well, yeah. and being a flyer, I was a gymnast, as you all know that. I will fly as long as it's in my control. But if I have to trust you to catch me, exactly, yeah, you've lost your mind because mm. I know how to land a double back or a triple twist or a dismount off the balance beam or a vault. But if I'm going to rely on you as one or two people to catch my entire weight coming at a force of yeah. four to seven times my weight, which is at the time was only a hundred pounds. Oh, no. You're going to trust a couple of 14-year-old boys to catch Ah. you? (laughs) So that is the sport of all hail. People are like, oh, cheerleading. I'm like, well, that's kind of a tough sport. Oh, it's intense. The workouts, the coaching, it's intense. It's an intense environment. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've gone and coached. It's not yay. We're cheering. No, it's, it's, well, because it's serious tumbling and lots of throws. And, like, you've got to be in shape for that. It's not like your old-fashioned. And your life depends on a 14-year-old boy. Right. And then, right. And, and two of your 14 year old friends. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, well, this was a wonderful conversation. And, and certainly, hopefully, people will be mindful. I, have, I always ask people to be mindful of whatever it is. But today, it would be mindful of if you have kids, if you have teenagers, if you have athletes in your life, even if they're adults, like being mindful of the fact that, you know, there's so much that goes into the performance and how one feels about themselves because of it, whether they're on national TV or local or just your family is just being mindful of like, that's so important to how the person feels about themselves and, and why take that away from anybody? Every, listen, if you're out there doing something, you're doing way more than anybody else is sitting on the couch. That's right. (laughs) So (laughs) on that note, Everyone have a fantastic week, and I will be back here to talk to you about personality disorders next week. Excellent. I like personality disorders. Personality disorders. Yeah. We'll have to diagnose you. Okay, cool. That'll be fun. (laughs) All right, you guys have a great week.